Welcome to the Cheer.fm podcast, Ask Salt Spring Answered. After many Ask Salt Spring events, we sit down in our studio with Gail Baker's guests and review some of the key points discussed. Welcome to episode 14, where our Damien Inwood has a conversation with Brian Young, the chair of Transition Salt Spring. They are a climate action advocacy group. Okay, I'm here with uh, Brian Young, who's the chair of Transition Salt Spring. We've just attended the Ask Salt Spring session. And um, welcome, Brian. Thank you. And um, yeah, maybe you could start off by telling people who aren't familiar with Transition Salt Spring exactly what, uh, what you do. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate the invite to speak, uh, both at Assault Spring, which is an awesome institution uh, we have, uh, led by Gail Baker. And it gives us a chance to have community discussions in a way that need to happen big time uh, re regarding climate change and, and the climate action we need to do. So essentially, Transition is a, we're 24, more 26 years old now, and basically founded on the premise that we need to do work together to solve our climate crisis, uh, which has become, since uh, we uh, formed uh, 26 years ago, has become a lot more serious and a lot more visible to people, which in some ways is an awesome advertising tool to uh, get people interested, but a very dire one from the point of view of how much closer it gets us to the red line in terms of community sustainability. So what we do is we focus on action and advocacy. So basically bringing people together on projects that have a significant impact on reducing uh, our climate risks, uh, things like floods, fires, sea level rise, uh, but also our emissions, but also advocating with our uh, local and uh, non-local uh, levels of government to make significant changes that make our islands safer and make our ecosystems more tolerable tolerant of the changes that are already underway. Okay, and can you give us an example of, of one project that you've been involved with in that's currently on the go? I think we talked about the Maxwell, Mount Maxwell uh, project. Yeah, that's a really good one for many reasons. The work we're doing with North Salt Spring Waterworks District uh, on their lands up in the uh, Maxwell Creek watershed uh, is wonderful because... There's a very clear problem there. One is we've got a very important source of drinking water that thousands of people rely on. And if there was a fire, for example, a forest fire upstream of the lake, it's quite possible that that lake would be taken offline for months and possibly years uh, due to uh, what they would need to do to put out the fire, but also uh, the environmental damage that would make the water really cloudy and of poor quality such that it could not be provided to ratepayers. So that's certainly North Salt Springs a key interest as well as keeping people out of the watershed because our number one cause of fire in this region are people not lightning unlike the interior. So um, th what's also wonderful about it is that we can achieve so many goals in working with North Salt Spring on this project by reducing fire risk in that watershed, by developing practices that we can actually use all over the this island with other pieces of land just like that, and even using some of those practices on private land. I mean, let's be clear, uh, the island is mostly private property, so we need to teach people the kinds of 
things we're doing on Mount Maxwell for people to implement on their own properties to keep themselves safe from fire, but our communities also safe from fire. So is the focus of this like cutting back on the underbrush and uh, this kind of thing or what, what, what actually is happening up there? Yeah, I love what you said, cutting back on the underbrush, because uh, a lot of our understory actually is very fire resistant. The problem is there isn't enough of it or enough of the right type. So, for example, we hear pe people talking about broom and gorse as being a really big problem. And one of the reasons it's a big problem from a fire point of view is it contains stuff that makes those plants highly flammable. Salal, for example, and, for, and sword ferns are, are fire resistant. Likewise with trees, you've got, um, you, you cut a forest down, you replant it. Those are all trees that are homogenous in terms of their, not only their species, but also their birth dates. So what you really want is a forest with mixed birthdays where you've got grandpas and grandmas and, and, and aunts and uncles and cousins and kids all growing together together in that forest so that you've got a diversity of um, fire vulnerabilities. For example, a lot of our forests are what one expert told me one time, our forests are at peak flammability because you've got all these young trees whose bark isn't thick enough yet, who uh, which could are very susceptible to fire and also very susceptible to wind and heavy rainstorms that are eroding the land around them and, and driving the rain off the land because of the frequency and severity of rains. Okay, that's, uh, that's great. And um, we did talk a lot about that at the meeting, but um, one thing that did come up was um, Minor Lee was talking about um, asking, I guess, for a rideshare app to help reduce traffic on the island um, and then we talked about the car stop program and stuff like that. But uh, what, what's your view on her idea of a rideshare app? Is that something that is possible that uh, Transition Salt Spring could uh, take on or... What's your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, it's it's I loved mine and Lee's recommendation because it was actually echoes one of the 250 recommendations in the climate action plan that we published a couple of years ago. That plan was the result of the work of oh, 30, 30 plus people in developing sector by sector strategies that we need to tackle uh, to lower our emissions and adapt to the the brave new world we're facing in terms of climate. And a rideshare app was actually one of the one of the recommendations. It's challenging. I mean, I don't think transition is in the position to develop that app. Those kinds of apps take a really huge amount of money to develop. But what it points out is we have a problem on this island, and it's what transit planners call the last mile problem. We've got a rural bus system, which is already challenging to serve. Uh, it does provide service along those main, you know, the main corridors, but it's challenging on the smaller. I, I live on Beaver Point Road, and you know, during the summer months, a couple times a day, there's a bus. Uh, but it's we're not going to have a huge modal shift into bus uh, transit until it's more frequent. So I think what we really need to do is focus on pushing our LCC and the BC government to more robustly fund that system. I know we have one of the best rates of at-the-box funding of our bus system, of small systems in British Columbia. So that tells me there's a lot of room for our local transit system to stretch a little beyond what it already does. So I think if we if we really 
make the timing. You have to wait two hours for some of these buses, and that just doesn't work for most people. So what I'd like to see is much bigger numbers. I think a rideshare app would be great, would be awesome. Uh, we also, uh, we were talking about in the meeting that uh, uh, during COVID, a lot of us stopped picking up passengers. Let's all pledge to start picking up passengers again. I mean, it's summer's a really good time to do that. Open your windows if you're concerned about COVID, transmitting it or getting it. But I think that's a really good opportunity to exercise that muscle of caring for our neighbors by uh, picking folks up again. I, we used to do it all the time, but like a lot of people, we stopped during COVID. And I think that we that's one area where we can all work together to, to make our society better on our island. Now, you made one comment which uh, jumped out at me, and you said we're slaves to the tourism economy. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, it's typical in communities where tourism is a driving factor. I mean, I need to walk back from, from that comment for, you know, from one perspective only. We're actually slaves to the pension economy. I mean, one of our biggest drivers on this economy really is the income that comes in for people's pensions, like my own, to fund you know, enterprise on this island. Another one is construction, housing construction. People like me who moved to the island and, you know, we happened to buy an older house, so that wasn't necessary, but we had an addition built. So um, tourism is definitely, definitely one of those drivers. I have to question, however, what role it plays in a economy where we have tons of climate risks that we're not addressing. So there, one of the reasons we do tourism is for economic development. What are the other ways which we could diversify our economy to actually acknowledge the climate risks we face in our forests, for example? So all having younger folks of, of working age, younger than me certainly, who are doing really good work in the forests, taking down trees, doing forest fire risk assessments for properties so that the landowners, be they public or private, can know what to do to help prevent their forests from actually being vulnerable to fire. And to things like uh, ecological remediation, like developing uh, constructed wetlands or bioswales or anything that can collect the water from uh, heading down what I call our expressways to the ocean, which are the ditches all, along, all alongside our roads and our driveways. That's an area where with there, I see huge upside potential for economic growth. So should pe people actually be uh, putting in some kind of like mini reservoir systems on their properties to collect that? that water, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, we do have a teeny tiny incentive program for uh, rebates on rainwater catchment, $500 for uh, up to $500 for rainwater tanks. I think we need to get more sophisticated than that. I think we need to bring the water districts on board on this island uh, with this type of program. We also need to look at more ecologically friendly ways of capturing water. It's great to collect the water, but I would love to see uh, programs like they have in Victoria, where they provide incentives for temporary rainwater catchment ponds that basically slow down the water before it floods, literally floods the stormwater system. We need to be doing that here. We get a lot of rain like that. You know, November all the way through February is full of examples. And we get another atmospheric river. Those kinds of temporary holding ponds would be an awesome way for us to actually slow the flow. Now, talking about water, um, Alexander from the Chamber of Commerce uh, made a fairly controversial proposal that uh, perhaps we should have water meters for everyone, including well users on the island. What do you think uh, would be the reaction to that kind of suggestion? 
Oh, it would be horrible. I mean, I think that people love uh, their private wells for all sorts of reasons. I love mine. I take really good care of it. It's a shallow dug well. Uh, and it keeps us keeps us uh, keeps us hydrated for sure. However, I have to acknowledge that in this changing world, we've got more and more people coming to this island. More and more straws are going into those aquifers. There are population pressures we need to talk about uh, on this island that are happening at the same time as we're having climate change pressures, and we need that water around. So, you know, I frankly, I don't have a position on whether we should meter water. I know that meters as a thing, you know, you, you, you don't know what situation you're in until you actually measure it, and meters... That's what they do. They measure. So if we were able to measure our flows and measure the rates, it actually helps policy folks come up with new rules or better yet incentives or programs to help people reduce the amount of uh, water they consume. I would love to see us have more programs aimed at residents, whether they be ratepayers in water districts or on on well their own wells, to do the right thing on their property and a broad-based public education program, maybe even targeted through the pods, the emergency pods on the island, to raise awareness around what we could do. I know what I'm doing. I'm copying my neighbors right now, and I'm putting on basically eight inches of mulch where I used to put only, you know, a couple inches on a few crops. Now I'm doing it on everything because I'm really concerned, like a lot of people, about what the summer is going to bring. Right. Okay, now I, I think you mentioned that um, the Climate Action Plan that came out, uh, what, three years ago? Yeah, two two and a half years ago, we we completed it actually just before co the whole wave of COVID broke over us, right. and so we actually delayed our launch. So it's really only been out two and a bit years, but it was definitely finished three years ago. Okay, and now you have a report card that's coming out in the fall that's going to give us an update on how we're doing on all these various uh, areas that w where we could improve uh, our our position on climate change. So can you give me any ideas at all about uh, what's in the report? Obviously, you're going to be launching it later, but uh, you did mention that there were some areas uh, that we were successful in and uh, some that we were less successful in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're really excited about this report card because talking about metering, you know, you can't change what you cannot you are not measuring so we need to measure how we're doing with a yardstick uh, metric or not uh, uh, against what our baseline is and overall I'll, g I'll give you the headline we're not doing great I mean, things in terms of climate change are accelerating far faster than the uh, United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports say, because guess what? Those are consensus documents. They're science blended with politics, uh, sometimes a toxic mix. And so they tend to be on the bit of the lower side in terms of what's happening. However, there are some great things that, that we're doing on this island. Um, I mean, I, I uh, was behind the school bus the other day. I was marveling at its quiet and and delighting in the fact that it's electric um i you know i jim stannon uh, who uh, runs our uh, our ev working group and transition salt spring is also delighted with the rate of change we're seeing i feel like it's not an area that transition salt spring really needs to work in anymore because i feel like market forces are taking over there and that allows us to focus on other areas where we need a lot more attention and frankly where you're going to see 
some of the reds in our report are things like BC ferries. Their tr their transition to electrified ferries is uh, is slow, and part of the slowness there is guess what COVID, and any of the red, yellow, and green we're going to have in that report card is not there to shame anybody, shame any agency, but it's a clarion call for us to say, hey, we need to work on this more. And at the same time, we've got some yellows in there, like we've got some really, you know, some better indications that the Sailor Sea Trail Network, uh, which is an, uh, a, a network of multi-use bike lanes up and down this island that's been envisioned for decades, uh, is actually you know, we're heading towards some implementation. We're going to see some pavement uh, built out on the Ganges Hill, which is an incredible trouble spot. We saw an accident just this past week where someone said, I'm never cycling again. That for me is a real tragedy along with the injury. And we need to, we need to show people that changes are coming and that Ganges Hill is going to be a really big one for helping to mobilize the Salt Spring community to support change along the rest of those routes all the way from Fulford up to Vesuvius and I really think that we've got some goodwill that's being developed at the multiple levels of government that's given me hope that we'll be able to get that thing done. Great now uh, one thing lastly I think that Darlene talked about was um, the need for uh, support in the way of donations from from people on Salt Spring uh, it's a volunteer organization. It relies on, on donations and grants and things like that. Um, what, uh, what would you be looking for? I don't know how much you get on an average uh, in terms of donations, but uh, what, what do you need? I mean, what's your budget annually? Do you, can you give us some idea of uh, how much money is involved and how much money you need to raise to keep going? Yeah, we have an annual budget of about two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand, depending on the year, and that pays uh, mostly for people. Uh, and I want to emphasize that yes, we are volunteer run. I, I've, as I was saying in the meeting, somewhat facetiously, the only thing I ever got was uh, the Microsoft Office Office package, uh, so I could edit the Climate Action Plan without the, my computer crashing. Uh, but we do we do need uh, funding to support the programs we develop, uh, the incentives we provide actually come from the public purse, uh, but a lot of the money to actually manage those programs actually comes from us. So we get a small but growing amount of funding from local donors. I think it's really important to build that local donor stream because it builds the love locally for an or any organization that's working in the community. So at this point, I'm, I'd have to guess, but I think we're probably about 80% grant funding. But let's be clear, we don't have uh, a Department of Climate Change uh, in small rural communities, let alone most communities, unfortunately, even if they're big. But cities like Vancouver actually have staff Cities like Victoria actually have staff. We don't have that. So what we have to do is we have to be creative. And what that means is partnerships between nonprofits like ours and government and other groups. I mean, I want to emphasize that last part, Island Pathways, heroes in our community. They're also shoestring. We need to be working together across all of those mandates to basically turn that ship around um, and uh, yes so donations are incredibly helpful monthly donations are the best way because they're more predictable for us if you can imagine trying to run your household not knowing what's coming in the door every month 
it's kind of the same at the non-governmental level. So, you know, a monthly donation, whatever you can afford, think of what you do on an annual basis and then divide it up into 12. And that, you know, basically set and forget. And you have a chance to come to our annual general meeting once a year and you get to see, you know, are these folks doing a good job with my money? And I guarantee you we're providing a really good rate of return on that investment. And where would they go to make a donation? Easy. Just go to transitionsaltspring.com. There's a donation button up there. And if you, before you donate, if you want to take a look at some of our initiatives, I invite our uh, listeners to do that. Uh, but we'd be very grateful for your donations. It's a really simple process. Okay, thanks very much for chatting, Brian. And uh, this is Damien Inwood coming to you from cheer.fm, the voice of the Gulf Islands.